Welcome to a, another broadcast of The Best Revenge, a production of the Fleming Foundation. I'm Thomas Fleming, the president of the foundation, and with us uh, by remote in Washington, D.C., or the D.C. area, is Chef Garrett Fleming for another food episode of The Best Revenge. Welcome, Garrett. Hello. Today we're going to talk about something really, really simple, which is should be the most basic part of any home cook's repertoire, and that is roast chicken. Uh, there are uh, a lot of different ways, a lot of different national styles that we're going to be talking about. Why don't you just list some of the basic methods we're going to discuss, and then we'll go on to talk about why, what some of them are good for. Sure, sure. So uh, I guess the simplest and most uh, kind of attempted is the French style of roasting a chicken. Um, there's the, uh, the French style is just basically high heat to low heat where you try and get the skin crispy, keep the, the meat flavorful, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's the most generic kind of simple way. Uh, then there's several Italian methods. Uh, one uses the uh, the terracotta romer top, um, which is basically using a soaked piece of clay, a kind of a, a pot, to steam aromatics into the veg in, into the uh, into the flavor of the chicken, and you're kind of preserving moisture. Uh, the only thing that this this kind of detracts from is the skin, and yet on another Italian way, really kind of highlights the skin, which is. Uh, I'm not sure the Italian for it, but in, in over here we call it chicken under a brick, which is a spatched cocked or spaddle cocked uh, a bird uh, that's cooked skin side down, which retains moisture in the juicy parts, and yet you still get an incredibly crispy skin. Um, there's Peruvian roast chicken and multiple ways of rotisserie chickens where you get uh, much more kind of flavor from cooking over embers. So you get like a charcoal embered uh, roasted bird. Uh, and that, uh, depending on where you're coming from, they do this in France too, but I guess in Peru and in Central America, they do this with, with much more flavorful kind of rubs on the chicken. Uh, and this focuses kind of on flavoring and uh, perfuming the bird uh, from the inside, but also the outside is getting crispy and you get a really crispy, tasty skin that's uh, – kind of being flavored from being roasted over coals as well as uh, incredibly complex kind of dry rubs. Well, good. Let's, uh, let's, go, let's go to the basic because uh, when, uh, when an American housewife looks up uh, the joy of cooking or, or uh, what's the other one, the uh, Fannie Farmer cookbook or mm -hmm. Craig Claiborne, they're seeing basically a kind of simplified American take on, uh, on the French method. So let's talk about that. That is, you get that you begin by getting the chicken somewhat brown, and then you cook it at a, a lower temperature until it's tender. Uh, before going on, it, if you have, a, we should mention that if you have older cookbooks for any kind of fowl, it's going to call for a longer, a lot longer cooking than is necessary today, for two reasons. Reason number one is that uh, people had this have this pathological fear 
of uh, undercooked chicken, and the USDA is very uh, very touchy about this. They they used to want you to cook it to like one seventy five. It's uh currently it's still backwards in time. They still have you um. It's not trusting the individual to uh to understand simple things like carryover heat. So they still have uh in doing a little research before talking uh even the guy that's uh considered one of the most famous chefs in the United States and what he's known for is just perfection on very simple things. So his his roast chicken is often mentioned as, uh, you know, as the best to kind of go go after is Thomas Keller. Yeah. And in reading his, uh, even in some of the, the the recipes that are based on his, they have you cook the chicken, an entire chicken, to 165 degrees. Yeah. Now, this is ridiculous. I know for a fact that there's no way Thomas Keller is cooking his chickens to 165 degrees. That's going to be, what, 175 or 170? Yeah, on a four-pound chicken, you're going to get at least 8 to 10 degrees, you know, carryover. The other other reason why older recipes wanted a long and sometimes very slow-cooked chicken is because farm-raised chickens that were scratching around in the dirt we're developing more muscle, and it takes a longer, a longer, slower cooking method to cook that down. This isn't true today, and so it's a, really a, a false concern. The same thing is even truer of turkey. Turkey times in a cookbook, even from the 70s and 80s, turkey times, it seems to me, are, are wildly exaggerated. So you really need a meat thermometer, and you need to take it out, uh, depending on the poundage of the bird, whether chicken or turkey, you need to take it out uh, when it's uh, anywhere from 5 to 15 degrees below the desired time. So let's start with the basic. Uh, what's, a, what's an ideal size for a roast chicken? I like, uh, I like a 3 to 4 pound chicken. I think anything bigger than that is going to, um, one, you got to question who's, if it's, a, if it's coming from a real farm, uh, then anybody that's raising a chicken past that, they're going to get tougher. They're going to get less. Uh, there's going to be more musculature on them because they're running around. Uh, it's just going to be a different. It's not a money spot. It's just like uh, lobsters over a pound and a half are not ideal to eat. You know, there's a certain. Even though people like the look of the, you know, the massive turkey or the massive chicken, the the truth is that the flesh is much less sweet. Uh, you're getting further away, you know, the old uh, adage, closer to the bone, sweeter is the meat. Well, if you have a seven-pound chicken, then the vegan breast is going to be a good inch and a half further from the bone than, than a, than a three- to four-pound chicken. Yeah. So outside of musculature, a- additional musculature, et cetera, it's still, it's just not, I think three to four is a, is a money, money point. Whereas the, uh, the little, the little poussins, the, the pounders, uh, which are very great to cook if you if you can find them. I feel that they do lack uh, kind of a maturity of flavor that a three pound chicken might have. So they're fun, and if you want to stuff them full of rosemary and chili flakes, sure, it's it's a great time and they, they taste great. But and the te- the flesh is of course very tender, but it's lacking some of the maturity that you get with a slightly larger chicken. Yeah, I I would add from my limited experience compared with yours, and that is. That um, I've cooked two-pound chickens, but I find that I tend to cook them at a much higher heat and tend to brown them on top of the stove and get them nice and crispy that way. 
And I often, I follow recipes for, for squab or, or, you know, pigeon more than chicken recipes. Because, and you can afford to do it because these, um, these uh, young American chickens are so tender. So, uh, but we're, we're not going to be talking about that. We're talking now about uh, classic method of roasting a chicken. So we get a three to four pound chicken. Um, let's suppose you live in the middle of nowhere and you can't buy a farm, you know, the best farm raised or, you know, organic hand fed pampered chicken. Uh, what? Uh, well, that should be where you could find the <laughs> best. <laughs> Yeah, in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, you don't know much about uh, the middle American middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what are um, are uh, obvi- obviously a lot of the the sort of mass marketed supermarket generic brands are stuff to stay away from. Yeah, uh, you know all the big names. I don't know if you get in trouble for bashing big names, but uh, Purdue, Tyson's, they're all one. Uh, I guess. One, they're all they're all. We have the worst farming practices, and we have worse farming practices on mass than China does. And so, and China's got some really dark farming practices. Well, uh, I don't think we feed our chickens melamine, for example. No, I mean, I think I think at their worst, China has more frightening atrocities than we do. But on gener- in general, ours as a generic practice, you know, for what 90% of our farming is, is much more frightening than what China does. Yeah. We, we buy, um, you know, we, our fallback position, if we go up to the little neighborhood, the store in our neighborhood, we go up and buy uh, a brand of Amish chicken, and it always tastes m- considerably better than any of the, of the, the known name brands. Given, here's a, here's a interesting, uh, maybe time to interject that there are a couple of words that are not legally uh, binding by any means. So if you go to the grocery store, you see the words natural free range yeah. uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll sneak, they'll sneak around the word organic. So what they said made from organics as in plural, yeah. uh, but unless it specifically says organic chicken, and this by no means is a, uh, is a, is uh, I'm not a hundred percent the notion of organic as a notion, but if you're going to a grocery store to buy a chicken, then clearly the organic option is going to be better than the non-organic. Everything else carries no weight whatsoever, up to and including Amish. So if you can actually, you know, we we have a, a Eastern Market. There are Amish farmers that come come all the time. And they, you know, the, the reason why it's, it's being used as a marketing tool now is that because Amish farmers have small farms and they raise, you know, a good amount of chickens and they don't overbreed them and they don't have these horrible farming practices. So even if they're not certified organic, this chicken could be just as good, if not better than the organic chicken. It most likely is going to be better than the organic chicken you're buying from Costco or wherever. Because both of, all of them are used as marketing tools now. Okay, so we got we've got our we got the best chicken we can buy, yeah. And 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 by the way, one of the problems is chicken is too cheap in the United States. If you go to a market in Italy or France, chicken costs like expensive meat because oh, it's, yeah. it's raised carefully, and they take chicken as seriously as they take veal, lamb, or beef. And that's one of the reasons their chicken is so much better. And you typically it's still got the head the head on with the feathers and the mm-hmm. eyes staring out at you. We have on our uh, I posted on a website some years ago your 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 mother beheading the the chicken that we had brought home from the market in Pisa. So we got the chicken. 
Now, uh, let's suppose we're not going to stuff it with a with a classic American, you know, bread stuffing or something. How do we prepare the chicken for for roasting in in the Franco American style? Let's call it. Okay, so I say we go with uh, just following because we're doing the most simple first. Is following Thomas Keller, and Keller has you. I mean, it's it's not he didn't come up with this, but it's it's the it's the absolute form of simplicity. You make sure your chicken is room temperature. This is very, very important. You make sure your chicken is bone dry and you pat it off. You don't rinse it with anything. You just pat it dry with some paper towels. Inside and out. Inside and out. And then with a with only salt and pepper, you season you season heavily the inside and the outside. Probably, I mean, I'd go 80% salt to 20% pepper. And so, I mean, and it, this depends on what kind of salt you use, but I mean, season it as you would a normal. Whoever's doing this is going to be, clearly they've cooked food before. So, you know, when I say a healthy amount, I mean enough to season the entire bird. Yeah. And then what? Then, uh, I mean, this is something that I, I, I differ a little bit on Keller from is he trusses his bird. And I feel that you can you can get away by you know folding the wings behind the back and bringing the legs together. Uh, and even if you just use a rosemary stem, you can. Uh, it's a truss of a way, but he does it the old school butchery way, where you get you know a couple feet of butcher's twine, and then you wrap it up in a figure eight, and you make it you know a tight little bundle. Uh, it's important for consistency in cooking, so you don't have appendages that are seeing high heat. If you have one solid mass and the arms are really close to each other, my only issue with that is then the brown, the only brown you get is on the exposed leg and the exposed wing. Um, whereas uh, this, I'll, I'll go into how I do it a little bit differently. I, I try, I understand why he does it. It's to get, you know, a core cooking temperature that's going to cook everything at the same time. That's why French do it, and that's why it's very key. But the only thing you lack is that you'll have a you'll have a blonde side on the legs and the wings. Yeah, yeah. So nothing, no, no, no herbs in the core of the chicken. Nothing. Okay, so this is where I differ. I like to stuff. I get a handful of rosemary, a handful of thyme, and sometimes sage or oregano. Uh, you know, dry, dry herbs, things that are released in oil, not parsley. The parsley wouldn't damage it. It's just not going to add a lot. Uh, and then I take at least one lemon and I cut it in half and I, I bruise the herbs with my hand just by rubbing them violently. And then I squeeze the lemon in there and then I shove all the herbs in there. And then if I'm doing that, I use my rosemary stem cause it's stiff enough to pierce the chicken skin and I'll close the cavity with that. Mm-hmm. Then, once your chicken, room temperature, seasoned, shoved with herbs and seasoned up, and uh, I'll put it on a roasting rack. Uh, the, you can do another things, uh, a number of things to get outside the roasting rack. You can cook your contorni or your vegetables, you know, add some split fennel, you know, quarter of fennel bulb, quarter an onion, and have those at the bottom of the pan, and then rest your chicken on top of that. So it, the, the whole point is to keep it from sticking. You don't want to lose the skin on the bottom. And if it sees direct heat because they're going to cook it very hot, you'll actually cook it unevenly. By It'll see a lot more heat on the bottom um, than it will everywhere else. So you want to keep the chicken off the bottom. Let me, let me add here, uh, I don't like roasting pans but that are because they're, 
the the roasting pans I could afford usually are made out of pretty lightweight metal. So I use um, instead of a roasting pan, I almost always use the heavy cast iron, uh, heavy cast iron uh, fry pan. You know, large, large deep fry pan or shallow fry pan. I also we have a uh, we have we have a, a, a heavy roast a heavy cast iron roasting pan big enough to hold a turkey. But I much prefer cast iron because it holds the heat much more evenly and doesn't tend to doesn't tend to scorch. If I when I've used a cast iron, I just like to get the pan hot before I actually put anything in it Me because too. otherwise I heat, on, yeah. I heat it on top of the stove. Yeah, that, if you do that, then it works even better. Otherwise, I use a I use a nine inch saute pan for a three pound chicken, uh, and that that holds it perfectly. I also have a ridged pan. You know, which is used to sort of to put grill marks on a Oh, yeah, 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 I've seen it. And I use the ridge pan and then put the vegetables underneath it. But the ridges themselves almost lifted up enough, but not quite. But but it's it's better. It, it, it has the ridges help. Yeah. So how do we brown it? OK, so this is where uh, this is where a lot of people have different opinions. Uh, where most people agree is you start out with high heat. So. About 450 degrees, you want to get your oven that hot. If you have access to a pizza oven or something like that, you know, that's even better flavor. That's, you know, if you can get an 800 degree oven, sure. Uh, the, only, the only thing that you have to watch on that is the skin will blister. And it will, it will balloon uh, from whatever moisture is left inside the bird. Well, actually, you'll, you'll balloon the skin up. So you have to be careful when you do that. One, make sure your bird's absolutely room temperature, um, and then you have to find you have to go you have to find a cold area for, or at least a colder area of the oven to cool down. But in a traditional oven, four fifty should be should be fine. All right, we could for what fifteen minutes? No, well, uh, okay. So I like about th- I like until it looks perfect. Yeah, and so. Uh, Thomas Keller goes almost 50 minutes and then he just pulls it out and lets it, let it rest. I think that that uh, will actually overcook some of the appendages, even though he's got his trust. So that works like that. I like mine. If you do 450, you can get perfect coloring in about 25 minutes. So you're cooking the whole thing at four, for 450 at 25 and then turn what? To 350? Okay, so I'm going to... What I do is I do 450 for about 25 minutes until it's beautiful. And then my little trick, which is, works out perfectly and which is why I can leave my appendages exposed because then I get coloring, is I kill the oven. And I let it in the oven. I let it sit in the oven for 40 minutes. So you're not – it doesn't clearly – any type of oven doesn't go – it doesn't go to zero. It's going to go from 450 to 400. After about 20 minutes, you're going to be looking at a 300 to 250 degree oven. Um, but it's slowly and it's gradual. So all those juices are going to go back in. You're resting your bird simultaneously while cooking it. What so, if you don't have a good oven? What if it doesn't hold heat? Would you then turn it down to like 300? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd have to have a pretty messed up oven. But yeah, I do 300. Uh, so you're 25, it's about 20, 25 minutes until you get that perfect golden brown Dorado. And then, uh, then I'd go down, I'd go another 15, 20 minutes, uh, at, at low heat. But ideally I, I, this really works is just kill the oven. If you kill the oven and wait 40 minutes, then pull it out, rest the bird for 10 more minutes, 10, 15 more minutes. It's perfectly juicy, crispy chicken. 
Good. And then um, do you make do you make a do you make a gravy or just serve it? Of course. Yeah. No, I love gravy. Yeah. Um, uh, we, you we, gonna? We yeah. gave it to you in a bottle instead of instead of milk when you were a child. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful things about the the entire roast chicken experience is to get the. Uh, I always wanted, uh, you know, that the, the restaurants give you a playful little first taste and amuse, um, you know, and one of the things that I think should ever should ever a flagship open up. I think one of the most beautiful tastes is to get a crusty loaf of Dago bread. And then when you pour, turn the chicken over, I mean, classically, when they say you want to see if your chicken's done or not, you turn the, the chicken and you uh, see if the juices run clear. I don't like to do that because I like all the juice to go back in the chicken, but it is a good way. If you have blood in your chicken, you know, in the chicken uh, liquids, then clearly, or they're murky even, murky's okay because murky will carry over. If it's totally clear, then you probably overcooked your chicken by a couple degrees. That's what they ask for in the old school cooking books is, you know, you cook it until it runs clear. But that doesn't allow for the fact that, you know, you're carrying over your chicken another eight degrees just by letting it rest. Um, now what happens? Yeah. What happens if you pull the chicken? You think it's it's done. It's let's say it's one one sixty one sixty five. You pull it and you cu- cut into it immediately. What happens then? Don't do that. Then you, you have a dry chicken because it'll leak out all the heat, has all the liquid, all the juices, and all the liquids that make that chicken so juicy are at the very skin level. There's skin level. So as soon as you pierce that, it'll leak out. That's why you, yeah. You're getting good gravy, but not good chicken. <laughs> yeah, you want to rest that chicken for, I mean, honestly, 15, like, if you're not going to, if you're if you're not going to turn off the oven method, and you're going to cook it at 300, then you want to rest your chicken at least 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay, is there any other, any other hint for, cl- oh, oh, we should. Gravy. Let's well, do gravy. Uh, before we go gravy, you know, uh, one of the old school methods is to, is to either brown it on top of the stove in a in a in a heavy sure. fry pan, or um, turn it you know f- uh, turn it uh, two or three times in the oven when it's cooking uh, at a in the initial you know start it with breast up to turn it on the back side then each side. This obviously has the advantage of getting it uh, getting it nice and brown, but what's the disadvantage? Uh, your skin can rip off. Uh, that's Ju- that's Julia Child, isn't it? Yeah. You know who uh, they? I interestingly enough, looking this up, you know they had a uh, they tested the great chef's uh, recipe for the roast chicken, and uh, Julia Child made it to the finals with her roast chicken, only to be booted out for the winner being Thomas Keller. Yeah, but that's why her. You do at that method. You could do. I mean, again, it's high heat, low heat. You could sear your bird. You can sear your bird. The, 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 the most important part is, you know, the thigh and the leg, you know, the bottom half because that doesn't see as much heat as the top. But to do that, get perfect color and then just have, an, uh, your, have your oven on at 300 degrees or 275 if you can, can do that. Uh, at 275 and 300 degrees, if you brown your bird so it looks perfectly and you manage to not tear your skin, then you're going to have a perfect bird because you're, you're going to be able to cook that flesh very slowly and you've already got your Maillard reaction, uh, you know, your brown protein. So uh, it'll be after you sear the bird on all sides and it looks perfect, you'd probably want 50 minutes in a, in a 275 oven, 300, and then you want to rest it for 20 minutes. Okay. Now let's talk about gravy. 
This is where, uh, for example, I disagree with your mother and brother. They always, to me, seem to make too much gravy, meaning they have to add uh, a lot of stock. I like a, a really intense gravy where you don't over uh, over um, add too much uh, broth or whatever to the uh, to the pan juices. But tell me how you do it. Sure. So uh, it's just like a. It's very important that you keep the juices that leak out of the bird. That is, that's like the little punch that gives you all the flavor. I char a dory. So I, uh, for a chicken, I usually like fennel, red onion, uh, celery, and carrot. And I'll do, for one chicken, I'll do about uh, three cups total. You can use whatever you want. Save up your garbage stems, your parsley stems, all that. Uh, you know, save it up. And then on high heat, I, I try and take some of the fat that's cooking off, that's being, uh, that's coming off from the bird, and you just uh, degrasse, uh, take the fat off the top uh, of your pan, and that's what I use to brown my vegetables. So I put, I take that from my cooking chicken, and then I roast. I take, I don't know, two tablespoons of that, and then I roast my three cups of vegetables. Towards the end of it, when I have a good caramelization on my vegetables, I hit it with about a quarter. Uh, maybe a quarter teaspoon, a half teaspoon of tomato paste or really any sort of, if you don't have tomato paste, then just use, you can use a raw tomato. You just want something to add a little bit of fresh sugar to it to help caramelize and get, a, uh, in French, it's called a pinsage. You're adding a tomato product to help the caramelization pro process. To that, I then uh, add, so once I have that, I, I'm assuming I already have a good broth in store or I don't really like store-bought broths because they just make money. It's mostly water. I can't believe how much money they charge for that. Um, I, I always save the carcass from the last chicken I roast. If you do it once a week, it works out perfectly. Um, so you just add that to a store-bought broth or you just you know cook that in water for three hours with some more aromatics. Either way, it's chicken stock. That's a different, that's a different subject. But I add... Uh, I add the fat along with the juices from my chicken to my roasted adori. Now you have all this extra fat lying around. I don't like adding a lot of flour because it's a, it's a bad texture. I don't like the mouthfeel of it. And it really kind of, it takes away from the intensity of, of kind of what you're trying to eat. Um, but it's good to have some. So that's why I add the fat, the rendered fat and the juices from the, the, the chicken that's resting at this point to my browned adori with the tomato paste. To that, I use a method called songer, which just means to kind of, uh, you, you toss flour very lightly with your fingertips onto the bubbling up fat. You know, very little. You don't want more than, you know, a tablespoon, maybe a tablespoon and a half of flour total, but you don't want, you don't want roux lumps. You're just essentially making a, a very light form of roux on top of your roasted vegetables. And so this is going to help thicken the broth that you have. So I let that, and then you cook that for about a minute, a minute or two, you know, because you, you, again, you want to stir it in vigorously to get rid of any sort of roux balls or any sort of lumps of flour. And then to that, I add my hot roasted broth. Um, this is, uh, not to get too technical, but roux works best with, a, with an opposite temperature. But in this circumstance, it doesn't matter because your roux is already cooking. So it, to thicken the to thicken most intensely, you add either you add cold broth to hot roux or vice versa. But it doesn't matter. It just it helps. In this circumstance, I always add hot broth to hot roux. 
uh, and you add it in a little bit to make sure that it's incorporated. Then you bring it up to a simmer, you check up for salt, and then I always finish it with a little bit of white wine or sherry. Yeah. What about something which I used to do all the time, and that is I'd make sure there were a lot of vegetables either uh, roasting alongside it in the pan or a different pan. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, at, when those are all cooked and sort of nice and mushy, and I used to add potato to it also be, to get the starch mm -hmm. and then push it through a sieve. For your gravy? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a, that's a, that's a strain. That's, I don't know if I call that gravy almost. What you're doing is like making a, making a sofrito almost. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's delicious. That would be delicious. Because, uh, and you could add, yeah, broth to it. But the point is that of course. even the thickening all comes from these uh, cooked vegetables. I, yeah. I wouldn't, that sounds like a lot healthier and delicious way to do it. I wouldn't even use the flour in that circumstance. Yeah, no, no, I no. don't. I don't. I, and that's, you know, that's why I add a, not a lot, but I add some potato to it because then you get the potato starch out of it. But, you know, really uh, a carrot is awfully starchy as well or, yeah. or a turnip or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, you just, you work with it over the years. You find what balance you like. The other thing, if you're going to use those to actually serve, uh, I remember failing many times when you try and make bite-sized pieces that you just overcook all your vegetables. Whereas if you're going to do it, you quarter a bulb of fennel. You use an entire carrot. You use an entire, you know, and you quarter a turnip. And for 40 minutes in the oven total, you know, it actually ends up being cooked pretty well. But you got to use big pieces. Yes, uh, yeah, I agree entirely. Okay, let's uh, let's go on to the the um, the next method, which the French version is a casserole roast. That is, you take like a you know one of those old cruset where pans or or some some or a, a nice Dutch oven where you can uh, you brown the you you go through very similar steps, but then or or you use a uh, what I I prefer and I think you prefer for this is to use a clay pot, the rimmer top, which has been soaked for 15 to 30 minutes, and you and you, you begin in a cold oven. So uh, let's go through some of the, briefly through some of the stuff. If you're using, let's say we're not going to do just a Dutch oven, but we're going to use an actual uh, Roman pot, then what do we do? Well, in here you have to remember that these things are going to be steamed, essentially. So the intensity of what you season the bird with needs to be really checked. What I mean by that is if I'm using, you know, eight stalks of rosemary, six stalks, you know, a, a half a bunch of thyme and, you know, six stalks of sage to roast it in an oven, I'm going to get so much more intensity out of that. I probably want to cut it in half. Uh, but what you get out of it is you can add vegetables to it too, and it's it's not it's a two way street in that. So if you do the whole vegetables like we were talking about, those vegetables don't only perfume and take the you know add flavor to the chicken, it also gets flavored by the chicken. So you it's it's a great way to get a ton of flavor, and out of all the things that we're talking about, it might get the most intense flavor into the actual flesh of the chicken. I, I chop, you know, I chop them, uh, you know, fairly coarse, but, but pretty small, uh, herbs and odori, you know, celery, onion, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, uh, until I've got the chicken pretty well crammed. The, where I found by bitter experience, when I try just a straight French roast method, and if I do it that way, there's too much steaming of the chicken. But whereas with yeah. the Roman pot, 
that that is the point. And so having these vegetables and herbs steamed through the chicken, it's more wholesome to me than just straight herbs, you know, because you, you get you get these rich flavor of the of the onion, carrot, etc. I think the Dutch oven method should essentially be uh, tossed away as, you know, entering, entering like the conversation on how to get a, a roast chicken. If you're out at a campfire and you happen to have a chicken, sure. And it's a healthy it's it's a great way to, you know, have a tasty dinner that's pretty easy. Um, but depending on, I mean, we were talking before on like, what are your, what are your ideal kind of, what are the ideal components of a roast chicken? This doesn't nail, like it's hitting half of them. Whereas like, it's not hitting what the Romer top is doing and it's not hitting what the dry oven is doing and it's not hitting what a, what a, what a rotisserie is doing. So what's the point? I, I will say one thing on behalf of a Dutch oven chicken is that if you, happened to have gone to the wrong restaurant and contracted a norovirus, for, which has been holding on to me for about two weeks, and your stomach feels like uh, you got kicked by a mule a couple of days ago, somehow I find the casserole roasted chicken, or the Roman pot, but they're both, I mean, very, they're, 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 they're somehow more palatable when you're, when you're not feeling well. Sure. I mean, it's it's comfort at that point. You get something that's just, you have vegetables essentially injected into the flesh of a bird. You know, it's it's a very, uh, it's a very healthy, comforting uh, way to eat a chicken. Okay. And you can, uh, to, to if you don't know, if you don't have a Roman pot, or if you have one that somebody gave you at your wedding, which is how I got my first one, um, um, you know, then you don't know how to use it. Well, first of all, the instructions on the Roman pot are fine. That with the, or you can get them off the Rimmer Top uh, website. But essentially, you got to soak the pot and you put it into a cold oven and then turn the heat on. Because if mm -hmm. you put it into a 350, 400 degree oven, it's going to crack. And oh, by the way, don't don't take the lid off as your sister Eleanor once did with a with a huge turkey-sized Roman pot. This is within the last year, and pour some nice cold white wine on it. No, that <laughs> happened. Yeah, that's, the, that's the end. Of, that's the end of that Roman pot. Now, which 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 sister was this? Uh, your older sister. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm seeing her. I'll see her for Thanksgiving. So She'll probably deny it, but we had, we, because she carefully put the broken pieces away. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, I may be doing her an injustice, but this is at least what your mother thinks happened. But anyway, this, it's a, if, if, if I had a friend who was a bachelor and couldn't cook and he said, well, what's one thing I have to have? I'd say, go out, get a saute pan and a Roman pot because you can't fail. You're not going to get nice crispy chicken. You're not going to. No. You're going to get. But you can. It never fails. You can't get. It's very hard to overcook something. It just gets. It just gets succulent and falling apart. But it's still going to be delicious. Boy, yeah. You could do a leg of lamb in it. You could do yeah. a pork shoulder. You could do all sorts of things in it. I don't like beef in it. That's the only thing. For some reason, I don't. It like to taste like canned beef. Although I've had beef that other people cooked that was good. And let me say also about the ro the French, the Franco-American style we were talking about first. Even when you fail, you know, even when your chicken doesn't turn out to be A or A minus, let's just say it's C minus. It's still a good dinner. It's not yeah. what you wanted. But it's it's it, this is 
this is it, this is idiot proof food in the sense that even when it doesn't come out what you wanted, you're still having a delicious dinner. And and you can prepare it in five minutes, less than five minutes. You can put together this chicken, and it could give you if you're a bachelor, you have food. You have roast chicken sandwiches for three days, and you have like a delicious dinner at least once or twice. Oh, by the way, the best leftover chicken, I think, is the Roman pot chicken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How the fat has been steamed out, and so that doesn't go, it doesn't turn rancid. Well, it's it's perfumed. You have perfumed meat. The next day, you cut into this cold chicken, and you say, gosh, this may taste better than last night. Yeah. You get some nice bread, a piece of Edam cheese, and some lettuce, and a nice tomato. It's yeah. delicious. Now, what I also, uh, I, when I, I use a lot of odori, as I said earlier. You know, odori just is Italian for odors or, or perfume smells. That's just chopped aromatic vegetables and, and, uh, and uh, herbs. It's their, it's their mirepoix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I, and then I all, with a Roman pot, I always, I add minimum liquid, but I always, um, I always use the, the pushing, pushing the, uh, the, the, the cooked vegetables through, through a sieve, or you could use obviously a, a food pro There are different ways of getting it. Pushing, pushing through a, a, a sieve or a strainer is maybe the best way, but, uh, anyway, any other hints about, uh, about the, uh, about the Roman pot method? No, I don't. Uh, I haven't had a Roman pot since uh, college, but I do remember uh, it's and it's not, not that 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 puts it in the wrong light. It's not it's not like a crock pot. I mean, it's no. a serious piece of cooking equipment. I just haven't for various reasons. I don't I don't have one. The difference if I get crispy skin and can roast the chicken with five minutes of work, that's going to be ready after an hour. Why would I look at a method that's not going to give me crispy skin and it's going to take five hours of attention? It's not. It, it takes an hour and 15 minutes in a Roman pot. I know, but when did you have to think about soaking it? Well, 15 minutes, 15, 30 minutes. And, and, <coughs> now, by the way, I, I cook, I, I, I tend to cook, the, I cook the French method two to one over the Roman pot. But when I do the Roman pot, one of the great things is I do it when I want to enjoy cocktail time because you never have to look at it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You close the oven and that's it. And oh, about the last 10 or 15 minutes, you take the lid off and the, the skin does get a little crispier and, you know, a little bit more more uh, like a, a regular roast chicken. So let's go on to rotisserie. going to skip spatchcock? That's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do spatchcock. Okay. So spatchcock is, uh, or spattlecocks, uh, which I didn't learn until uh, looking it up the other day. Actually, uh, used to refer to a cold male chicken, as in, you know, a chicken that was pulled for, what do they call those, uh, uh, is that a rooster, are all male chickens roosters? Well, they're, they're cocks. Yeah. Uh, well, hence the spatchcock. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you're, you're basically trying to remove the body cavity, uh, the chest, the, the ribs and the chest, while maintaining a single piece of skin. Um, I've seen some, you're not deboning the entire bird. No. You're just deboning it from the back, which I know frightens people because it sounds like butchery, but really, uh, 
I mean, there's YouTube, there's Google. Like it, ta- it, it, it probably take. I can scratch cock an entire bird in probably about I don't know four minutes right now. I think if you try it for the first time and you know how to hold a knife, it might take you fifteen, maybe twenty minutes. But it's easier. Let's start with for, you. You want to get rid of the backbone first. Is that it? That's it. That's it. So you 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 turn the chicken over, so away from the breast, and then I just. Go, follow the spine essentially uh, down with a sharp bendable knife, uh, and then you just remove the flesh from both sides until you come to the breast, and then flex your blade around so you don't cut through the skin. Yeah, uh, I get easier said than done, but it's not that difficult of a process. It just takes a little practice. Uh, that being said, then you want to season your bird up as you would anything else, inside and out, salt and pepper, dry, pat it dry, just like the other method. Uh, at this point, I like to uh, um, make sure to press kind of like your confing it, press some aromatics into the flesh side uh, before it goes into a pan. And this way, if uh, this way, you're going to get some flavor from that by being roasted into it. Not a lot, not a lot. Some people make uh, purees, like they'll do garlic and lemon zest and chili paste and rosemary, and that's fine. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm too lazy for that. So I just, I'll take a couple of garlic cloves, uh, some sage and rosemary and some thyme, and I'll just kind of press it into the flesh side. Then you want to get a large saute pan, something preferably, I like, uh, in this circumstance, I like a steel bottom pan, not an actual, not a French steel pan because they're a little thin and you know, it's too easy to burn but a heavy bottom pan and it needs to hold the entire chicken. So you get it to medium high heat. You add a little bit of olive oil and then you carefully lay the chicken from away from you. So you want the bottom to come. It's going to be the bottoms closest to you at the beginning of the pan and lay it away from you. So it doesn't splurt up oil all over you. Uh, and it should be hot enough because you, you put it into a hot pan with hot oil that the chicken's not going to stick at this point. It's going to, you should be able to freely move it around with your fingers or tongs or whatever you're doing. And you're going to lower the heat to medium heat and you're going to, um, I guess the Italians used to put a brick on top of it to make sure that you get, this does two things. One, it means you have constant contact with the, uh, with the, with the heat. So the skin, no matter the imperfections, is going to be smushed into a flat line uh, even with the pan, so you're going to get crispy skin throughout. That's the reason. The second thing is just like uh, just like trussing it, you're evening out the cooking area, so you're you're having more of a solid cooking mass that will cook evenly. That's what the brick does. Um, people that don't want to use a brick, you honestly don't have to. The very weight of the chicken itself should weigh it down sufficiently uh, unless there's great imperfections in like the breast or you really screwed it up with your butchery. Uh, you don't need it because it's heavy enough to weigh it down. But that's the idea behind chicken under a brick. The, um, I, uh, I learned uh, uh, by accident, I sort of stumbled on something very similar, and that is it was a recipe for, um, for a pigeon given by, uh, by Bujali. And, you know, he cuts the back out and, you know, flat, he cuts it completely out. So you got one, one piece and then you sort of smash it down with the side of a big cleaver, you know, until you try to, so the, some of the bones start to crumble. And then, and then you, I fry it 
my dev, my, the way I developed it, I, I, I cook it for about 25, 30 minutes on each side. And then finish, and then if it if it's a big chicken, I finish it in the oven for another uh, 15, 20 minutes until it's done. And it uh, it's not classical perfection, but it I've never had anybody who didn't rave about it. What I like about this method uh, is two things. One, you can guarantee um, crispy skin because you're weighing down, you're rendering, you're forcing the chicken fat that's under the skin to render because you have a weight on top of it. Secondly, and even just as important, is that you don't have, you're never cooking the flesh uh, because the flesh is on top. You have, by the time it goes into the oven, your oven's at 275 or 300 or whatever you want to do. So it's a very gentle cooking method. So if you rest the bird, you know, you do it, and it takes half the time. So it takes half the time to cook because you've split it outside the carcass. You cook it 25 minutes in the oven, rest it for 10 minutes. It is the juiciest, most perfect chicken. And all of it is. All of it is because it's been cooked like that. Not just the breast, not just the thigh. It's all perfect. I find the, uh, the, the meat, that is the, the, the texture of the chicken meat is different. It seems to be uh, both tender, but also somewhat more resilient than a regular roast chicken, and it's um, it's a very it's a unique texture, and it uh, and again tastes very good the next day. It, it is different. It's different because you've separated it from its carcass, which is its downfall and its kind of blessing, um, because you're missing. You're never going to get the perfume that you get from either of the other methods that we talked about. No. Well, let's go on to our last method, uh, which is uh, which is a rotisserie. It's the that's what if you have a rotisserie, this is about the easiest thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's uh. There's all sorts of uh, rotisseries. There's the set it and forget it. There's the uh, which the only issue I have with the electric rotisserie is you get the perfect rendering because you're using the weight of the chicken on itself to turn. And drip the fat out, which is great, but you're not getting any flavor from your cooking source. And one of the greatest things about you know what the original process was based around was cooking over open, not open flame, but open embers. Right, and that's the way the Greeks do it in a you know in a, uh, or at least that's the way they used to do it. Until you taste food that's been cooked over that. It's not, it's, it's, it's just, it's night and day. It's, it, it, it flavors the meat. It's another component to kind of flavor the meat. Yeah. But most people are not going to have a, um, a, uh, a big barbecue grill set up with. No, even most restaurants don't, most yeah. restaurants don't have that. It's, it's impossible. But if you can get it, then you should definitely try it, even if you can't make it. Otherwise, the set it and forget it method, uh, or the the machine, or any sort of electric rotisserie, that can be get. Well, it's like a hundred bucks. You can get them at Target, even. Yeah. Well, your mother was once dragging me through some one of those awful big box stores, and we were buying like a TV set, or a or a stereo or a radio. And I said, anything else you want? And she and and she pointed at this Ronco set it and forget. It. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what it's called. Set it and forget it. And I said, "Don't be ridiculous. They advertise that on late night television. I'm not buying this junk." It's pretty solid, though. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> well, 
naturally, uh, you know, your mother wanted it, so we got it. And I laughed and laughed and laughed until until she roasted a chicken. And it is absolutely foolproof. You can stuff it full of herbs, you know, and then just put her put it on. And really, you'd, you'd have to be an idiot to fail. One of the uh, one of the nicest things uh, when you see old you know old eighties programs where they show people uh, the turkey baster, because essentially. The only thing that you would baste your turkey with that makes any – I don't know a single chef that ever tells you to baste any poultry item. Particularly if you're basting it with the leftover juice – like you're basting it with both juices and fat. And juices are just going to ruin your crispy skin and make it soggy. And the fat – like if you could do just fat, I guess that would be helpful, but you don't need it. There's no point in doing it. It's just danger. It's a dangerous, silly practice that uh, I don't know who pushed it. But you say it's still still the date. Thanksgiving's like two weeks away. I guarantee you, we're going to see people with turkey basters pulling them out. Well, we always do it here. <laughs> it doesn't do it. Yeah, it doesn't do anything though. You're just it's 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 touching something for the sake of touching it. I tell you the worst advice. I I think this was from the old Joy of Cooking, and uh, it you. Know, uh, Put wrap your big bird in a cheesecloth and then baste over it. And see, the great thing about that is, is that when you're through and you take the cheesecloth off, it rips all the skin with it. Why would you do that? that well, yeah, 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 I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. We did it once, and I said, no, I don't think we'll do that again. How long did it take you to wrap the bird in cheesecloth? Not, not too long, but the point is that it ruined it. Every single time anybody does it, the skin comes with it. The other, the other really bad thing is to uh, people will wrap it in foil, so you're getting, you're getting steamed, uh, steamed chicken, but you're not getting a Roman pot chicken. Yeah, and possibly Alzheimer's too. <laughs> well, we're running out of time. Uh, anything else we want to say on this uh, this broadcast about uh, about the, about uh, making chicken? I don't know. I, I I don't know if you want to do something on Thanksgiving eventually because that's a whole. Let's do that. Sure. Let's do one on Thanksgiving in a in a in a week, and uh, we'll talk about some different things and maybe get your mother in uh, on how she makes her pecan pie or her. Uh, oh, that'd be great. You know her other thing, but uh, before we go, I I want to thank. Uh, this is a special episode because we have hired uh, a sound effects man and a uh, and a musician to give us a background and it is uh, it is grandson William providing all this entertainment in the in the back of our recording. <laughs> thank you. Thank you William. He's very happy. Yes. Okay. Well, with that we'll, we'll sign off. This has been uh, another broadcast, another podcast uh, li- uh, living well is the best revenge. I'm Thomas Fleming and we've been uh, talking with Chef Garrett Fleming about how to make the perfect roast chicken. Thank you very much.